Welcome to, to Harvest Hill, and uh, if you didn't hear Jason's welcome, he did welcome you, and I'm glad you're here. And uh, we've been going through a series called Pilgrimage to Passover, and we arrive today in looking at the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross. And I uh, was praying about it this week and about how we can approach this, because a lot of us have, have studied this, read this, heard this, seen this before in these passages. And I was just thinking about how can we make this the most impactful, yet at the same time, what it means for all of us, and that the cross gives us the invitation to become a part of the family of God. God adopts us as his children. And to be adopted, that word in the Bible, to be adopted, means that God doesn't just claim us, but we receive rightful heirs as his children. He he gives us that promise to never leave us or forsake us, that we belong to him. We are owned by him and known by him as his own. And I began thinking about that and thinking about my own family times and around holidays. And I'm kind of glad that it snowed this morning because it really helped me to get ready for this because I, I was thinking about like Thanksgiving and Christmas. And around Thanksgiving, Christmas, Christmas is coming, by the way. Merry Christmas to you. Start now. Um, I started thinking about Thanksgiving and Christmas and things we do around those holidays as family because we, we tend to get with our family a lot on those times, uh, whether to eat or just to be social and give gifts. But a couple traditions we have in, in our family, and I'm sure some of y'all have as well, as I've gotten to talk to some of y'all this week about it, is uh, at Thanksgiving, you know, we gather around the table and eat, yes, but we also share what we're thankful for. As people kind of go around and share maybe something happened this, this year or, or recently that they're thankful for. And then at Christmas, we always sit around as a family and we read the Christmas story. And it's just that time of sharing with one another uh, in a family setting life and the impact that these times of years have on us. And you know what? When you come to the Bible, the Bible actually emphasizes Easter over Christmas. Now, we can find Thanksgiving, but there wasn't actually a Thanksgiving day. It's more of an American holiday. But I wanted us to kind of build a family-like atmosphere <clears throat> this morning and, and asking a few people to answer one question. I really want to pose this question to all of you all to begin thinking about maybe this afternoon or in your quiet time this week. And here's the question we're going to be looking at this morning. What does the cross mean to me? What does the cross mean to me? And I really would like for you to stop and pause on this and think on it, maybe even write it out. And I've, I've got a few people this morning that are going to come and share about what the cross means to them. And as we do that, we're going to be reading through the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22. Um, if you'd like to make your way there, it's also going to be on the screen this morning if you don't want to fumble through the pages. And I'll be reading through that. But uh, one thing about the cross is the cross changed everything. It changed everything. Is that now, through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have access to God when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternal life. It changed everything. The idea that we have to work our way to God is no longer relevant because Jesus paid it all. He finished it all. And so we're going to change things up this morning. I hope you're ready for a little bit of change. Um, as we look at the cross and we continue our pilgrimage to Passover. And I want to begin this morning by reading from the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 39. And we'll be reading through verse 62 
if you have your scripture with you, or like I said again, you can follow along on the screen behind me. And he came out, and he is Jesus, and went, and as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and a man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you portray the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. He touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he, Peter, went out and wept bitterly. What is the cross? mean to you? What does the cross mean to me? To me, the cross represents God's never-ending love and grace for me and you. And I know that's probably the Bible school answer, but to me, to have a God that loves you so much that he's willing to come down and take all the sin, past, present, and future, just so he can spend eternity in heaven with me, it's pretty stinking cool. But that's, that's all I've got. sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began ash was redeemed only beauty remained my orphan heart was 
forgiven again. My morning grew quiet, and my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. It's your made us 
him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. And the day came, the assembly of elders of people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to the council. They said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man, but they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether this man was a Galilean. When he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraigned him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. Before this, they had been in enmity with each other. And Pilate then called together chief priests and rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. Now after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. And Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! Third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I found no guilt in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. And so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they had asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. The cross, the agony, the pain, the loneliness, the passion, the cross. Can you understand and believe the story? He appeared like a plant in the desert of spiritual ruin. He had no special outward beauty. He was resented, despised, and rejected by the ones he was sent to save. He was a man who knew tears all too well. Loneliness. He was on a first-name basis with grief. Understanding. We ignored him, we pitied him, and we rejected his presence. 
We didn't even lift a finger to help him. Mercy. Surely he picked up our sorrows and put them on his back. Grace. Yet we, the ones most needful of that grace, thought this true Savior as the weak and needy one. He bled from the blows that surely belonged to us. Miraculously, by the lashes he received, we are healed. We were like sheep, defenseless animals, trying to make our way through a meaningless maze of a godless existence. But don't miss this truth. God heaved on the back of his beloved the iniquity of us all. He was opposed, afflicted, mocked, lied about, scorned, betrayed, abused, and ridiculed. But he didn't say a word. He could have condemned us all. Oh, what a love! He was led like a lamb into the slaughterhouse we call humanity. He was cut off. He was brutalized. He was sacrificed. Oh, oh what, what a, a love! Thank you.
And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. There followed him a great multitude of people, of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they would begin to say, The mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us. For they will do these things when the wood is green. What will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they were crucified. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, to Je- and he said Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds had assembled for this spectacle. When they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation. The Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come in with women who had come with him from Galilee followed and, and saw the tomb and saw his body laid. Then he returned and prepared the spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Because of Jesus, the cross has a whole new meaning to me. It represents forgiveness, love, hope, and life. Forgiveness. There's nothing I can do to earn my, by my own efforts to earn God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift from God. Only through the blood of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven and set free from the bondage of sin once and for all. There is, no, there is such freedom found in knowing it is not what I can do to be forgiven, but what he has already done for us. Love, no greater love than this. Jesus laid down his life for me and for you. 
because he loves us. Sin separates us from God. Just in, but just Jesus interceded for us on the cross. One of the most overwhelming moments I had understanding his great love for me was reading in Luke 22:39:46. Jesus was praying to God. He was in such anguish. His sweat was like drips of blood. But Jesus was so obedient to the will of God and knowing this was the only way, Jesus on the cross would take our sins and in that moment would be separated from our holy God, his Father, as he bared our sins, grasping what he sacrificed for me and what he gave up for you, that is love. Hope, the worldly definition of hope is a desire for a certain thing to happen, a desire. Hope in Jesus and the cross, it means knowing in confidence what God has promised and accomplished on the cross through Jesus. What he says he will do, he will do. And what he says will happen, will happen. He is my hope and he is my strength. And last but not least, life. In John 3.16 it says, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we may live a new life from Romans 6.4. Through Christ on the cross, we are given a new life now and eternal life in heaven, called to live a new life for God, no looking back. That's what the cross means to me.
mean to me? What does the cross mean to you? I think it's a question we all should stop and ponder and think about because we can get going through all the motions and, and the times of years and the rituals and, and, and kind of lose the meaning of it all. The view of the cross is it was personal. It was personal to God. It was personal to Jesus. It's supposed to be personal to us, to make an impact, to, to change us, to make us stop and think and ponder. It's why we're going to come to the Lord's Supper here in a moment to remember. Our salvation is a gift and it is free, but it was very costly. I love the reading of Luke and I've been reading it, I don't know, several times every day this week just to see different things that jumped out that maybe I can miss because read it so many times or have heard it so many times or seen it so many times or whatever. One thing that jumped out at the very beginning of the reading of Luke in, in verse 39 is he, he, and this is Jesus, came out and went as was his custom to the mountain of Olives and disciples followed him. The cross reveals the bravest man we can ever know. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of like scary movies and, and things that make me jump, and, but I'm a big baby about it. Um, anybody willing to admit that if you watch a scary movie, and you may not watch scary movies at all, but um, you're one of those that will squint when you know something's about to happen? 
the, the music starts to build up, so you start to squint. Um, or or you, you do this. I don't know what this is. Anybody do that? Like this offers some level of protection, even though you're, maybe you just go full-fledged pillow. I'm one of those where I'll squint, and if squinting's not working, when something's about to jump out or something's about to make my heart lose a beat, I'll, I'll turn my head, but I'll watch out of the corner of my eye <laughs> as if this is offering some level of protection. And if it's just going to be full-fledged, I'm just not ready for what's going to happen. I'll just look down and listen. I don't know why we do that. Maybe it's the adrenaline rush. Maybe it's the heart rush. Maybe it's just like we just like being in that moment where, oh, that was, oh, that was crazy. But you look there in Luke. Jesus was God in the flesh, fully aware of what was happening, what was transpiring, what was taking place, fully aware of how each of those closest to him were going to play a part in a role. He was aware of what Judas was doing at this very moment as he walked into the garden. He was aware of what Peter would do in the next several hours and denying that he ever knew him. He was aware that those closest to him, those that he had taught and poured his life into for the last three years, he was aware that they would run and go into hiding. He was aware that they would show up at his tomb expecting him still to be in the tomb. He was fully aware that they didn't fully understand what the cross was to mean to them. And yet Jesus goes to the, Mount, or the Garden of Gethsemane at the Mount of Olives, and the Bible says it was his custom. It was what he was known to do. He, he didn't go to the garden to avoid it. He didn't, he didn't hide his face or churn his face. He didn't go to the garden to hide. He didn't go to the garden to get away from it. He went to the garden so Judas would know exactly where to find him with the people that were going to arrest him and beat him and torture him and put him on the cross. Jesus went willingly with a brave heart, he went there to be found. He went there not to run away from giving us the gift of salvation, but to pay it in full. And if you read, and maybe you want to read that passage later today, it's from Luke 22 again. Did you catch how many people just didn't know what to do with Jesus? Pilate couldn't understand why they wanted to kill him. Herod didn't understand why he was there. They understood that he was innocent. They understood that he didn't deserve death. But because this was the Father's will, he was taken to the cross. The Bible says in the Old Testament that he was beaten so bad by the time he got to the cross, he was hardly recognizable as a man. I don't know about you, but when I saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, uh, I was joking with, with Jason this week as we were talking about movies. When I saw the movie, The Passion of Christ, I walked out of that movie and I remember just being completely quiet. Not being able to say anything in my head, thinking how in the world was I deserving of that? And if you, if you haven't seen that movie, um, it's good, but the reality of that movie is no matter how bad the beatings were, no matter how severe he looked, the actor looked portraying Jesus on the cross, it still did not depict what the Bible said Jesus actually looked like. He was hardly recognizable as a man. 
And did you catch what he said in the midst of all that pain and suffering? He was thinking about you and me and others. Father, forgive them. The cross, to me, means for some reason, God loves a sinner like me. For some reason, God wants me to be with him for eternity. And I don't deserve it. I'm completely unworthy of it. And I can have all the titles in the world, but I didn't deserve what God did so I could have a relationship with him. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter, that for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And I wish we had time to fully unwrap this this morning, but what Peter is drawing out is we got to keep in mind, even though he was on the cross, he was still fully God at that moment. At any point in time, he could have called it off. At any point in time, he could have called the heavenly host to come and take him off. He could have done exactly what the people were telling him to do, to save yourself. He had the full power and full authority to do it at any moment. But he went all in for you and me. All in. Peter says that even though he didn't revile, when he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued trusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. He took our penalty. He took what we deserved, our blame, on his body, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, because by his wounds you have been healed. The cross... Is Jesus on display before the righteous Heavenly Father who's going to judge the living and the dead. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And Jesus stood on the cross between that God and us, our God and us, and said, Father, blame me. And He allows us to hide behind His righteousness so we might receive it ourselves. What does the cross mean to you? You may be here this morning and you're not quite sure. You may be here this morning thinking, well, you know, I, I need to be a good person. I need to go to church. I need to do this and you do that. And that, that's exact opposite of what the cross is meant to do. See, the cross isn't about what you and I can bring to the table. It isn't about you and I proving ourselves to God. It isn't about our righteousness. It's about God's righteousness, Jesus' righteousness given to us by our faith in Him. And so, yes, those things are beneficial. Yes, we should read the Bible. Yes, we should be with the body of believers. Yes, we should be involved in certain things. But that's not to prove that we deserve our salvation, but rather in response to it. What does the cross mean to you? Is it something you can show up on Easter and just kind of go through the motions or show up at church and go through the motions? Or has the cross truly impacted your life? Has it changed you? 
Because if we started this service, that's exactly what the cross is meant to do. It's meant to change us, to make us a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. You may be here this morning, and you've heard others sharing about the cross. You've heard the readings. You've heard the songs. You've come to the point that you have yet to make a decision on what the cross means to you. The Bible says that it is only through Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection to which we can be saved and forgiven for all of our sins. That there's no other way to the Father except through Him. So if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and His resurrection, the Bible makes it very clear you're not saved. And that's because God loves you too much to leave you in that place. He wants you to know the truth. You're not saved. You're not one of His children. You're not a part of His family. But He's brought you to this place in this moment, on this Sunday, to change that, to invite you into a relationship. The Bible says it begins by, I have to recognize that I am a sinner. That as good as I can be on some days, I'm, a, I'm really bad on others. I have sin in my life. I'm not perfect. I mess up. There's things I hope that nobody finds out about or things I only let a few people know about. Them. That's sin. And I can't fix my sin problem. That's why we have the cross. The Bible says when I understand that I am a sinner, that I make mistakes, I fall short, but I believe in my heart that God loves me that much that He sent His Son Jesus to the cross for me to take my blame, my punishment, and they placed Him in a tomb, but He rose three days later. When I believe that personally, not what mom and dad believes. When I believe that personally, the Bible gives this incredible truth. I will be saved. Are you here this morning? And that's where you are. You need to place your personal faith in Jesus Christ to let people know that what the cross means to you is salvation and forgiveness, and you need to accept that gift that God has laid before you. I'm going to invite you to this time of invitation. Jackson and Bridger are going to lead us. And if you're here this morning and that's where you are, you need to begin a relationship with God. I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to be a part of God's family. I'm going to pray with you. But part of coming down, I know it's kind of intimidating at times. Part of that is the Bible says we have to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that confession means a public confession. So everyone here, they're not going to judge you. They're going to celebrate with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that the cross has become kind of just a thing. I was kind of laughing. You all were funny watching from behind, by the way. Because it kind of reminded me of Catholic Church sometimes. Have you ever been in Catholic Church? People got to stand and sit at certain times. You all are very well trained. You should get cookies later. But it's kind of, it was funny in my mind, but at the same time it kind of reminded me Sometimes I can get into a routine. I know what I'm expected of, what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to be, what I should or shouldn't say. I just kind of make worshiping God and being in a relationship with God a routine or a ritual. And I'm not saying that's what happened here. But maybe you know in your heart that's kind of where you've put God just kind of going through the motions instead of deeply 
knowing him more. Think about that. In a relationship with God and as God's child, you get to know God deeply and more as your heavenly father. That's intimacy. Maybe it's when you come before the father and tell him you're sorry because you've made it not about intimacy, but about stuff and this and that. He invites you back to an intimate relationship with him. We're going to sing. I am going to invite you to stand one more time. I'm going to invite you to come, but let's pray together before we sing. Everybody, you can stand first. Go ahead, Gary. Thank you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the cross. Lord, thank you for making it personal. Thank you for paying it personally. I pray for my brothers and sisters here in Christ, Lord. I know they're just like me. It's so easy just to kind of go through the motions, to get stuck in a rut. Lord, return to us the joy of our salvation. Bring us back to the cross and we remember how sinful we were but this incredible gift you've given us. Let us be in awe of you. I pray for those here this morning that your spirit's been speaking to their heart. You've been opening their eyes to see their truth and their ears to hear the truth. Lord, they're here in this moment. They know that they do not know you as their Lord and Savior. They know that they are not saved. They do not have Jesus Christ as the Savior of their life. They have not been forgiven for their sins. And they are fully aware of that. You've given them that clarity. In this moment, I ask your spirit to give them the courage step out, maybe grab the person next to them to come down and let it be known that they want to be saved. But I praise you for the promise of your word. Your word does not come back void. And it cuts to the deepest, most parts. So I thank you it's not about a message that had to be preached, but it's about your word being heard. So let it take root in our hearts and let it begin to grow. Forgive us if we failed you in any time in this place. As we come to the time of response, Lord, let us respond in a way that is in spirit and truth. For we know that's what you're seeking from us this moment. I praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to come. I invite you to sing.